You're listening to Firm Up, the fermented food podcast where we get together every week to discuss anything and everything fermented. This is episode 55, and I'm Brandon. And I'm Allison. And we have a special guest today talking about fermentation, about fermentation crocs. Uh, it's, we're excited to have a Sarah Kirsten here of Counterculture Pottery. How are you? I'm doing really well, Brandon. Thanks. Thanks for having me on the show. So you have fermentation crocs. You're listed in the resources section of the art of fermentation. Your your crocs are are prevalent online. You can find them different places. Images of be- beautiful crocs. Thank you. What got you into this? Were you a potter before into fermentation, or did fermentation bring you into pottery? Where just kind of step back and let us know how you got into all this. Well, um, I have been a potter for longer than I've been a fermenter. Absolutely, but. This is really, this project, making these fermentation crocs, is really what helped me take my pottery to a whole new level. So I was, uh, I started making pottery when I was a kid, and, uh, you know, I I just always did it, and I never thought that I was going to end up doing it for, uh, like, a business or a job, but, uh, you know, life, it it, it takes you around. And I ended up, I was living out in the San Juan Islands in Washington state. And I was working on farms and I was working on farms. And I, I was also working for a potter while I was out there. And I thought that I was, I was just really inspired by food once I, once I ended up working on the farms. And I thought that, um, that that was the direction my life was going to take would be like growing food or working in food. And for about a year, um, my friends out on the farms kept on saying like, Sarah, you should make fermentation crocs. And, um, after a while, I mean, it just seemed like a, a big challenge, but eventually I just decided to go for it. And, uh, and, and, I started fermenting foods when I was living out in the islands and working on the farms. So fermentation was important to me. Um, and, uh, and it just got more important to me as I started making the crocs and I started testing the crocs that I was making and making more fermented foods and realizing how powerful fermented foods really can be when you, when you add them into your diet. So it's been like a, it's, it's been both. I've been into pottery and fermentation. The, the interests have grown together over the last couple of years. And it's been about four years since I started making fermentation crocs. And do you make any other pottery at this point? Or is this the main thing that you're making now? Um, I do make other pottery. Um, I, I love making other pottery. I don't have my other pottery listed for sale online. Um I mostly focus on selling the fermentation crocs and my other work I've allowed it to just be what it is. And I I've made work and then I put it up for sale at the gallery where I make at the studio where I make my work or I'll take it with me to a craft fair and put it out. But it's difficult, you know, so sometimes it's difficult to sell things when, when they're changing all the time. So I like to let my other work just, just change a lot. But the other work that I make, is generally functional, um, functional work that you, like I use in my house, you know, I make it for myself and for other people to use at home. And that is a term that I, I, I see on your website, functional pottery. So 
that makes sense in the sense of something that can be used. But what does how does that differentiate from other ceramic or, or art or pottery? Um, uh, because when I think of pots, I think of things that are functional, and I think of vessels for fermentation being something that that have been made out of ceramics and different clays and different things for such a long time. Like, is functional much different than other ceramic art that's out there? Um, I guess that. I think of ceramics as kind of falling into two categories, um, one category being functional and the other category being sculptural. Um, there's a little bit of a crossover between functional and sculptural. Sometimes people make like a, a teapot that will be very sculptural um, and less functional. But functional pottery, I think of it as being, you know, pottery that people are making for everyday use. Um, and... So like, you know, tableware, like bowls, cups, plates, that kind of thing. Um, I think the fermentation crock, sometimes I call it an extremely functional piece of pottery because in designing it and making it, I've had to think a lot about um, how it functions. Um, and that, that, that plays into the design of the crock uh, aesthetically. And it, it also affects like the materials that I use um, I specifically fire, I, I do what's called high fire ceramic work. Um, so I fire to a, a high temperature on the range of people making ceramics or functional ceramics. Um, and I do that specifically because I want to make sure that the, the piece is fully vitrified, which is the, the term for when uh, everything melts really well in the kiln, um, because the fermenting environment is highly acidic and I don't want the the fermenting to eat away at the glaze or at the walls of, of the piece. I want it to be a piece that's really solid that's going to last for a really long time. So 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 it's so it's an extremely functional piece of pottery, I think, on the range of of pottery. Well, and can you talk a little bit, like describe or or if you have a verbal way of describing your your pot and or your fermentation jar and how that's. Um the design has come about for that because it's it, like I've mentioned, it's, it's very beautiful. I mean, we'll have links in the show notes at firmup.com slash podcast slash 55 and definitely go look at those. And it's, it's a beautiful piece of art in many ways. It's very aesthetically pleasing. It'd be a great thing to have fermenting out in the kitchen or whatnot. But at the same time, it's like, is it so beautiful that I don't want to use it? You make it sound like it's nice and sturdy and strong. Um, but oh, yeah. what, where is the design, uh, like, what were the design inspirations for this? Well, the original idea when I started making the Crocs was just to make, um, to make a really beautiful version of a water seal fermentation crock. So that I think is like the keystone kind of, uh, uh, design element that, that I've been going for. So when, when you look at the jar online, if if you see a picture, you're able to see that the the rim of the jar is like a well, it's like a trough, and uh, you fill that trough up with water, and then you put the lid, the lid fits inside of the trough, and that creates a seal. So it's the same, There's there are definitely other water seal crocs out there. Um, I heard from Sandor Katz himself that it's an ancient Chinese design, but that's where it originates. So the design is a basic, uh, it's a water, it's a water lock, so then as you're your fermenting vegetables ferment, they exhale CO2. It displaces all of the air that was inside of the jar to the outside of the jar. So then during fermentation, 
you don't have any oxygen present on the inside, which is great because it means that no mold grows. And it also means that um, like fruit flies can't get in. Um, and it also means that the, the fermenting foods don't smell as much in your house when you're, when you're walking around and your crock is there on the counter. So those are, those are the reasons why that water seal is really like the, the key thing that I was going for in making the jar. And, and, and beyond that, how is it designed? I mean, I've just been trying to make like a, a beautiful piece that is going to be really sturdy um, and is going to last for a long time. So they're not, they're definitely not uh, super light. I mean, I don't think that they're heavy like a like an anvil, but 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 it's a solid piece of pottery. Um, I don't think you could drop it on the floor without it breaking, but you could probably knock it around in the sink while you are washing it. Um, but I, I I do tell people to handle them with care, um, and it's definitely designed to be used. Um, the handles, I've, I've worked on the handles to, to make them pretty small and also functional just because, uh, in analyzing like handle design, you know, if you have like big handles, they're more likely to get broken off, you know, eventually you might knock into one of the handles. So I purposely brought the handles like in pretty close to the jar so that you, you know, as little of a handle as is necessary is there. Um, and the jars come with weights that fit inside to keep all of the cabbage or whatever you're fermenting submerged. Um, yeah. And I mean, like I said, I've been making these for a number of years and I've been fermenting the whole time too. So it's been great to get to actualize like the first crocs that I made, the water seal wasn't that well, wasn't necessarily very deep, you know? So I thought like, well, the well should really be like deeper and kind of more narrow so that the the water doesn't evaporate as fast and there they, there's more room for more water so you don't have to come back and keep on adding water to the to the well so so do you usually that have answer to... the question yeah um it's <laughs> a very good answer well do you have to fill up the the your air your water seal often um i mean you just mentioned you're touched on um how you've made it deeper and narrower um, but how often do you have to fill it up if someone has one of these crocs? Well, I think that would really depend ultimately on the weather and like the the humidity and probably also like the location in one's house where one had the croc. But I'll say that I probably add water to mine about once a week. I mean, the water doesn't evaporate all that fast. So, you know, I would say to be safe if it's like if it's very warm outside, maybe every like four days, three or four days. But I live in the Bay Area, so it doesn't, it's not really scorching here. Maybe if you were fermenting foods in like Texas in the middle of the summer, you'd have to fill it up every two days. Sure. But, <laughs> but maybe in Seattle in the winter, it would be like once every two weeks. I mean, I'm not sure. Right. <laughs> well, with thinking further about this this well and, and thinking about how you've, you've changed it over time where does it compare because the 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 water sealed uh airlock fermentation vessel that i'm familiar with it would be the uh the the german style or the the harsh crocs or whatnot is is yeah. yours different than that in any way like is this is the shape um, different or yeah the shape is a little bit different i i saw some harsh crocs at the store and i i mean my impression was that they're that well, that gutter in those crocs is a little bit 
it's like wider and more shallow. I've definitely seen a lot of them where they're more shallow. And, uh, but I mean, I don't own any of the harsh. I'm not, I'm not terribly familiar. I've never really used one. Well, I, I asked because I've actually had a experience where I did get mold in mine and it was from not have the water evaporating too quickly. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I guess that goes into another question is how much of the jar is glazed because say the harsh crock, the top of the lid isn't glazed and then the stones aren't, uh, mm-hmm. or the, the inner side of the lid aren't, is not glazed. And then the stones are not glazed. Where does yours fit in there? Well, um, mine, it's basically the same. I, the inside of the jar is glazed. So anything, the surface that's holding the, the fermenting foods is glazed the well itself is not glazed and the weights are not glazed. However, like I said, I, I, I high fire my work in a, I fire it to a high temperature in a gas kiln. And, uh, I've talked to some people who have used the weights for other crocs where they, they said that the weights felt very like kind of porous, like light. And the, the weights that come with my jars are very solid. And, and there's this, um, so to, to talk ceramics a little bit with that, that concept of vitrification, where at a certain point, all of the silica is going to melt and you're going to have a, a, a completely solid ceramic surface um, at a higher temperature. It's, it's a little bit variable. Like you could have a completely vitrified surface at a lower temperature too. So I don't, don't want to make it sound like that isn't possible. But, but when you fire at a really high temperature, I think it takes it that much farther. So even if the surface isn't glazed, the point I'm getting at is that even if the surface isn't glazed, it's impermeable to water. So the the glaze that's on the inside is there just for just I don't know, just for some just for some extra for an extra smooth surface that's easy to clean and is really solid. But yeah, that makes sense. I mean, in, in, in so maybe the stones that I've had, because I guess I didn't emphasize that when I, I had the mold, I also had the stones that then got that moldy smell to them that I've never been able to get to. And I actually had to replace the stones and even to a slight extent, I smell it on the top of the lid if it gets moist. Um, but that doesn't seem to affect it too much. Yeah. Is that but- part of the vitrification? Uh, like that, that it's, it's, maybe more porous and has just absorbed those things. And no matter what I do, I just am not going to be able to get it out. Yeah, I think so. And actually it's interesting to hear you say that because the way that I have been testing my Crocs all of this time is that at the end of using, using the Croc, whenever I unload a batch of whatever, whatever I've been making, I wash out the Croc and then I let it dry and then I sniff it. I do a sniff test and I sniff it to see whether or not it smells like what I just made in that crock. And I do it because um, when I started making the crocks, I was firing at a lower temperature. So the first crocks that I made were kind of like a mid-range fire. And, uh, and I used them and I used them and I used them. I probably did three or four batches, but then I noticed that they started smelling like whatever I had just fermented. And then, uh, and then after another couple of batches... I, uh, I just, I washed them out and I put them on the the shelf and I, I opened them up the next week and it was a little bit of like, there was some dampness and a little bit of like mold inside of those containers. And so that's when I decided that I really just had to high fire my work because, because it seemed like that 
that that whatever had happened there. Yeah. So the point is, none of that has happened with any of my work for a number of years. That's and good I, to I would hear. Guess, I would guess that that was what was going on with your crock and with your weights. That is good to hear. That's good to know that like I'm I, that it, there's at least some kind of answer to it because I've. I've gone crazy trying to get that thing cleaned and, and just had to give up and get, again, like I said, get new stones and then not let it mold because they do still, it's the, the stones that I found, be it harsh or other companies stones that fit inside of my crock. All they, they all have more of that. Um, they absorb the flavors they or the smells. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, that's definitely uh seems like a differentiation with yours. So that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Cool. Good to hear. <laughs> <laughs> And and then it looks like you also, when I was on your Facebook page, going way back on images to uh, to 2011, it looks like you have a different style. Are you still making that style or is that part of that evolution of style? Like the handles look like they're a little bit more out and um, different things. Yeah. Was there in, like, why the change in the morph of bringing everything in, it seems? <clears throat> well, the handles, uh, that change happened. I took a workshop. I took a workshop out at an art center and, um, you know, I was really enthusiastic and I've been making these fermentation jars. And at that point, the question on my mind was like, how can I make these better? You know, like, how can I keep making these better? And, um, and so there was the guy who ran the art center. We, uh, he was this, he's this really great great guy. He's really quiet, much older, really quiet. And so, so he brought me into his office and, uh, he happened to have, a, a, a collection of crockery of like of fermentation of crocker of old American crockery all around his office, just lining his office on a, on a shelf. And when I looked at all of the different crocks, the, the older ones that had handles that, that came out, I would call them like a strap, like kind of handles that look like straps. Those handles were all busted off of the off of the jars, you know, kind of like how like your handle will be the first thing to break on your coffee cup. So all of those handles were were broken, but then all of the handles that were really close to the pieces were were intact. And so he 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 pointed out all the crocs and and he looked at me and he said the decision is yours, you know, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> and that's why I decided to change the style. I think that was, that was how I made that decision. And, uh, and so, yeah. And then I just, I tried out some different ideas. I think, I think in the middle, in between what I have now and, and the original ones that I made that were in the Sandor Katz book at a, a different phase and, you know, just as an artist, you're always improving. So <laughs> that's, sure. that's, that's what, it, that's what happened. So are you making these crocs on a daily basis or, um, is it just kind of like today I'm going to make five? Um, like how do you go about <laughs> deciding? Cause I'm looking at some of your pictures and it seems as if at times you have a lot and then maybe you just have a few. And I don't, I mean, I don't really know much about this and how to go about it. So I'm just wondering. Well, um, these days, uh, I would say that I make a lot at once. Um, I started making them. So when I started and, and so when I started making them, I was hand throwing all of them on the wheel out of like, 
one, like I would take a ball of clay, turn it into a fermentation jar. That was the fermentation jar. Um, and that was, that was fun. And at that point I would make them in sets. I think I would work, I would do like 10 at a time and it would take me about a week or maybe more than that, like two weeks to do 10. Um, now the jars are slip cast. So because they're slip cast, I can make a lot of them at once. And the kiln that I fire, I fit 28 into the kiln at a time. Oh, so, wow. so now, so now I'm firing 28 of them at a time. And the production process is a lot faster because they're slip cast. And that's why they consistently look the same instead of uh, all varying the way that hand-thrown pieces do. And is there any thought behind doing that besides just uh, efficiency? And also, could you explain slipcasting for any listeners that may not be familiar with that? Slipcasting is the process where that most cer- most ceramics are made by slipcasting, as far as I can tell. And the process is you, you, you make a plaster kind of you make the the shape, there's a plaster negative of the shape. So if you wanted to slip cast like a standard coffee cup, it would be a cylinder, like up, up the, you would have the empty space on the inside would be the cylinder and it would be encased by the plaster that would be around that shape. And then you, you pour liquid clay into that plaster block that has that shape inside of it. You let it sit for a little while um, and the plaster absorbs water and so as the plaster absorbs water from the clay it creates like a clay shell in that shape and then you pour the remaining slip it's called that that white where you pour into the mold is called slip you pour it out and that that plastic that that shape is left on the inside and that's the piece um so do you does the does this negative that you're talking about kind of come in like two pieces um that fit together or um, how do you take off this? Uh... Yeah, that, mm-hmm. and the, okay. the mold that we're using for the fermentation jars is actually multiple pieces because it's a complicated shape. So it's kind of like a crazy little engineering project to, to get the mold. And I'm working with a mold maker. So that's that's his area of expertise. And the reason why I switched over to doing that is... For a number of reasons. I mean, it allows me to make a really consistent fermentation jar. So mm-hmm. when I was hand throwing them, um, you know, sometimes I would, you know, the, for example, like the well, the water well, um, you know, on some pieces it would be larger and on some pieces it would be smaller. And those little details kind of like were eating away at me. Like I, you know, I wanted them all to be really good. And, you know, when selling them, I just, I just wanted them all to be really good. And um, and then also with, with handmade work, there's more variation. So pieces can be more prone to break. So it's a little bit more high risk to hand throw all of the pieces. Uh, and, and lastly, you know, for like photographing, for, for, for selling things, it's nice to be able to have a consistent product. Um, and, and now I'm able to make a lot more of them. So all of those things combined, you know, are really, that's really why I made that switch. So, and you just mentioned being able to photograph them and that's one of the things that works really well, especially based on the 
the colors, the this white and then this, I don't remember if it's gunmetal black. Yeah, there's a gunmetal black, yeah. The, they look beautiful in photo. Do they look as good in real life? <laughs> well, I like to think so. Okay. I like to think they look better in real life than they do in the pictures, you know? Um, yeah, they're nice. I mean... And, I hope. And well, and, and well, that's 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 good to hear. I mean, you just know, like some hotels or whatnot look amazing, and then show up, and it's not that great. But like, oh, this is kind of dinky. No, you know what? I mean, so you know, you're asking like, I'm the the artist. So to me, sometimes, I mean, I've spent so much time with these fermentation jars. It's kind of a hard thing to explain. You know, when you when you look at one object over and over again for years. I think that it starts to look a little bit different to me than it looks to other people. Um, but I've had really, really, really nice customer feedback on a regular basis. So I think I'm pretty sure based on the really nice customer feedback that I get, I think that people really like them when they show up at their house. Awesome. So, and then yeah. I guess that brings it into, I, I actually, well, before I get into people it arriving at people's house, so it sounds like there's a lot of, uh, mail order business, but then specifically before we get off the color, topic of colors and how they look, mm -hmm. do you have any th anything to say about the the choice of the color or how that's uh, how they're painted? I mean, are they they hand painted? Are they sprayed? Or I can't exactly tell by just looking at them. I apply my glazes using a spray gun uh, that that uses an air compressor. So it's an air compressor spray gun situation, and I do that so that I can get a really even coat of the glaze um, on a large piece. Generally with ceramics, a lot of times people dip pieces into glazes using like tongs and a bucket or however they're gonna go about it. But I found that by, but that the pieces are so big, it's hard for me to do that. So I use this air compressor setup. It be, because it does, does spraying versus dipping, because just looking at them, they just look like they've just got this nice uh, coat to them. So as, and then I think of like dipped things sometimes have like a, a thicker right. aesthetic it, to them. And it's uniform too. Like um, when you look at a picture of it, there's not what Brandon is saying, thicker in maybe one area than in a, in a different area. So um, your spray yeah. gun, yeah, it, it seems to, I've, I've never heard of that being used before, but it makes sense. Doing the trick, I think. Um, yeah. I think that a lot of bigger ceramic makers, I think a lot of glaze is applied using a spray glazing setup. I know I went, there's a there's a really cool ceramics business in the Bay Area called Heath Ceramics. And I, I took a tour of their production facility and they spray glaze their pieces. I think it's a pretty, it's it's how you would get it a, to have a pretty consistent coating. And and I do that, that's only on the outsides of the pieces. I glaze the insides differently. But I do, I, I guess I do that. I, I look pretty consistent, you know. And, you know, if the glaze is really thick on one side and not on the other side, you know, there, there are different issues that that can cause. And, you know, so just to steer clear of all of that, I've been spray glazing them pretty much since the beginning, so... Sounds like it goes back to that functionality aspect of it. It's there's a, a certain romanticism that people that may not be aware of or familiar with ceramics that kind of seems like, oh, hand throwing, it's such a romantic idea and it fits so well with hand made ferments. <laughs> but if a person actually wants to be able to use this thing and make it last, it sounds like you, you've made those choices specifically for those reasons. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't want to be, you know, I mean, if, like, if, uh, I don't know, I think you, you, I think people love handmade things, but I think kind of only to a certain extent. I think it's, it's really nice, but if I, if I, if I, for example, dipped a piece in a glaze, um, and then it was really thick on one side and not on the other, and then maybe in the kiln that, that glaze ran off of the piece, and like hit the kiln shelf and like a big drip that I would have to like sand off with like a grinding wheel. Like that's not really, that's not really what I'm going for. Like that's not what I want to be doing. And I don't really think that's what people particularly want either, you know? So I've just been going for making, trying to make like a really functional, really solid object. And that's been the challenge is how do you, you know, all I really know how to do is like, is make pottery, you know? So how do I, how do I make like a, a, a piece of pottery that's going to stand up in your kitchen and be just as useful as your KitchenAid mixer or your, you know, whatever it is that you have, you know, but for fermentation. So, yep. Awesome. The and then, idea. so going back to like what I hinted at with it, you, you said that things kind of sh- show up in people's homes. So it sounds like there is a decent amount of mail order. Where, where does your balance come from? Are, are most people finding you online or are you doing things locally in your area? What's your kind of, uh, we are doing both of those things. Um, and I say we, because I, I work really closely. I have a business manager who I work with and she's, uh, in charge of all of our wholesale accounts. So we have, um, we're in a number of stores in the Bay Area, um, and we're also in some stores in places that aren't the Bay Area. So we're in Portland uh, at a store called Alder & Co., and we're in L.A. at a store called Reform School, and we're working on some stores, a, a store in New York right now, and hopefully that's going to happen. And so we're, we're kind of, we're... We're working on we're we're we want them to be in stores and we want people to be able to see them and also it's really great for us when people buy directly through uh, the online shop, um, just that works out really well. So we have uh, you know when we have gotten different like mentioned in different places, you know people find us and it's been really helpful. It's been wonderful being in the art of fermentation. I would say when that book got published, um, I mean, it was just magical for me. The, the, the jars have been online, like in my online shop and, and people would just buy them and I don't, they would just find me in the art of fermentation and then they would just buy them and it was awesome. And I would just send them out in the mail and that still happens. So that's, it's, it's both, it's crazy to me. I mean, People are looking for, that's why this has all worked out so well is because people are looking for beautiful fermentation crocks, you know, like this wasn't like the craziest idea. Like people love fermenting foods and they want a crock and they want it to be beautiful. And I think they want it to be made by someone who's a real person. So, yeah, I think, um, well, I th- a lot of it, I think too, is not only are they beautiful, but it's nice to have something that looks nice on your counter in the kitchen. Um, mm. and it works well. I think that a lot of people are drawn to that. I mean, you can use mason jars and all sorts of different things, but, um, when it's something as, as pretty as your Crocs or other, other Crocs, um, it just makes it kind of nice to sit there. 
it's kind of a conversation piece. Yeah. 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 I, I, I can only imagine. I mean, when people are ready to take their fermentation to the next level. To the next level. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Um, So then with, uh, with the art of fermentation, with the other, these other places that have, um, have either found your work through other ways, you, um, how has this changed the way that you ferment? Are you still having time to ferment or has the business <laughs> taken off so much that you don't have time to? Um, well, I mean, funny that you ask. I was very busy this fall um, with making the fermentation crocs all the time. And I, and so this fall was the first time that we did not have, we ran out of sauerkraut in my house. And it was like a, it was like a, there wasn't any sauerkraut. It felt like a, you know, like an apocalypse. It was just like, oh no. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, I'm so busy making these crocs. I don't have any more sauerkraut. Yeah. The idea, the idea of like, making crocs all day and then coming home and then just like shredding like seven heads of cabbage and turning it into sauerkraut felt onerous but 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 that time ended and now I have five crocs at my house and they're usually awful and they're awful right now so that's what that's what's all, happening now. Are they all I full mean, of sauerkraut or are they ha- do they have do you have different things in them? It's, does it just kind of depend on what your fermentation inventory is that you make or is it kind of like today I just want to feel I just feel like making kimchi or I feel like I want to make this today well I have some standards so I have some standard things that I like to make and keep around and then I'll usually have like an experimental crock in addition to the standard crocks and so and this is I, this I just sort of arrived at this over the last couple of years but um, I really like radish kimchi. So I make a daikon radish kimchi that has daikon radishes and carrots and and all the things you put in daikon radish kimchi. And then I make um, a uh, I make a plain sauerkraut. Always have like a just cabbage sauerkraut. And I make a uh, like a curtido, like a Salvadorian style kraut with oregano and carrots and garlic and those are and then I I really like making I had like a white I do like a basil and white pepper sauerkraut so those we usually have and those are usually fermenting in the crocs and then I'll and then I'll I'll mix it up and I don't know copy something really great that I tried at the farmer's market in (laughs) in another in another crock sure that sounds like yeah. fun to have the experimental yeah. crock, but then also your standards. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, I don't know. I, I like to eat sauerkraut on a really regular basis and I, I like to experiment, but, but I also like having, you know, the ones that I like to have around around and they're, it's always different too. I think that's kind of what, like, it's been interesting for me making the same kinds of ferments for a couple of years to see like, oh, this is how this one tastes if I let it ferment for three weeks. And this is how it tastes if I let it ferment for three months. And, you know, I'm just starting to get more familiar with that. has been really fun. When you get into this experimentation, do you, are you, well, I guess for one, I don't know if we've specified, how large are your crocs? 
They hold one and a half gallons. Are you always experimenting with one and a half gallons or do you ferment in anything else other than your Crocs? Well, I have, so the Crocs that I have, I have two of the Crocs in my kitchen right now are the ones that I sell today. But I also have the the vintage original Crocs, like the very first ones that I ever made. And so the very first ones I ever made were smaller. So they were about one gallon. So, you know, I just, just kind of switch it up. But generally, I, I never make less than one gallon. So between one gallon and and I have a two-gallon croc that I also use. So I guess I, I guess I have some variety. But What's the largest I, croc you've ever made? Uh, a five-gallon croc. I'm working on making five-gallon crocs. It's like my pet project <laughs> that I get to work on sometimes. Um, but I have never made a batch of sauerkraut in one of my five-gallon crocs. Other people have, but I haven't done it. Is it a lot harder to make a larger croc like that versus a one-and-a-half-gallon croc? I mean, it takes more clay. and <laughs> Is that the challenge? Um, cause you said it's your pet project and it sounds like it's something that is fun to work on, but yet very challenging. Yes. Um, it is completely different to make a five gallon crock than it is to make a one and a half gallon crock. When I make the one and a half gallon crocks and when I made like the, the piece that we made the mold off of and, and all the pieces I ever made, I did it by throwing one piece of clay. So it came from like one ball of clay, put it on the wheel make it into a piece of pottery the way that, I don't know, people make pieces of pottery. But um, the the five-gallon crocs, I've been, it's been the way that I've, there's a different pottery technique, and it's called coil building. So it's where um, I'll throw, like, a base. I'll throw the base of the object, so basically throwing, like, a, like a large bowl. Um, but then I, I take clay and I roll it into coils, and I pinch that clay into like uh, into basically the walls of the pot. So you lay one coil like around and then kind of like throw it so that the pot gets taller. And then you, you lay another coil around, you throw that so the pot gets taller. And, and then eventually, I don't know, you have a five gallon jar, but what's different about it is that it's using a lot more clay. So it's kind of a bigger commitment um, and as the piece dries, as clay dries, it shrinks. So as it shrinks, you get cracking issues and all kinds of issues, really. So working on a really big scale um, is really fun for me, but it's also a really big learning experience because it's a whole different ball game. And five-gallon crocs that I've made, <clears throat> they tend to come out with like tiny like fissure cracks that that don't go all the way through, but at the same time, I don't feel really great about selling them right now. You know, like I feel like I, I really want to spend more time working on them to take them up to a really professional level before putting them out there more. So, so yeah, it's different. It's Would big this... and they take up a lot of room in the kiln. It's kind of a big commitment. <laughs> anyway. And, and would that be something that just trying to wrap my mind around this, would it be if your coil building, 
if you had a successful design that didn't crack, that worked really well, would you eventually be able to slip cast that? Or is it the issue of you need kind of a crane or mini machine to then uh, slip cast with? <laughs> to like move the mold around yeah. once you're trying to slip cast it. I mean, I don't know. I, you know, the, the person who I work with, with uh, making the molds is always saying that, that we should slip cast the big pieces and, I I don't know. I think that's absurd. I mean, that's just that's just beyond like the the scope of of what I've dreamed about doing, you know. So, I don't really know how to I don't know. I mean, maybe. But at this point, you know, I also really I really like making them. I I like working on them. So, there's also that attachment that I have to continuing to make my own handmade work and um and and it might be that if I do figure out how to make these large pieces, that maybe I would like redirect uh, like our workflow as a business so that I would have time to make those by hand. You know, I mean, they're just there's all kinds of options. I'm not sure. And do you find that people are curious about different sizes? I mean, do people want the larger ones or is like you said, a pet project at this point? You know, chefs want the large ones. I'm working on them because chefs want them, like chefs in restaurants. So the one that I, there's a restaurant in Berkeley called Chez Panisse, and they have been using the large crock that, one of the large crocks that I've made. And, you know, you would need, you need to make, or like small fermenting businesses. I would say I don't know any individuals who are, chomping at the bit to get a five gallon fermentation jar in their house. Cause you can fit a lot of cabbage in a five gallon, in a five gallon fermentation jar. Oh yeah. I mean, that's... <laughs> <laughs> I mean like we're talking about a really big, like cabbage and time commitment to fill one of those up. So I think that the largest like individuals uh, have kind of asked me to go up to like three gallons, like two to three gallons. Um, and, you know, I mean, I really want to, I want to do it all. It just, it's just as a matter of time and, and putting it all together. So, I mean, I'm hoping that within the next year I can develop a slightly smaller and a slightly larger fermentation jar than one and a half gallons, because, you know, I think one and a half gallons is a, a great size because you, you make a decent amount of kraut in that jar. But for some people who are like beginning fermenters, they kind of want a smaller jar, um, you know, and for other people, they want a larger one. So we'll see. So is there anything else big or any other directions beyond those? Or is that really the direction so far is work on those big ones, work on these different sizes, anything else that you're going to be making or is that uh, keep well, you busy I'm enough? <laughs> I'm working on making uh, some large bowls that are, again, specifically designed for sauerkraut making. Like the sauerkraut making experience, I think, kind of calls for a large bowl that's like really great to, to pound all of that cabbage in. And so we have them, like I've been using bowls I've made to make my sauerkraut in and, and like a bowl that has, has tall sides. I think that's it. I don't know about you guys, but whenever I make sauerkraut, I just make a mess. Like there's cabbage everywhere and I got to really like sweep up the kitchen afterwards. So having a big bowl helps me out. Um, and I've also thought about, about different, just different projects related to fermentation. Like I 
would love to design like a kombucha brewing urn, uh, something like that, that would maybe involve a spigot. Uh, but you know, these, they're, these are just ideas at this point. I don't, I don't, they aren't happening yet. Um, and then, and then other, other smaller things. I think my focus with ceramics is really like on food. So different things that can be used in the kitchen, like specifically designed things that can be used in the kitchen. But as these projects are all just kind of happening right now, I, I don't know how much, how much, how much I can really say. We'll see what happens. That's exciting. And, and is there, now that everyone's all excited and wants to see all your stuff, if they haven't already looked at the show notes, where would be good places for people to find uh, your, your work and, and, and you, or, or where, where should people go to find you? To www.counterculturepottery.com. That's our website right now. Do you do Facebook, Twitter, anywhere else? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, tell us, you I can tell us that, everywhere. Yeah, I'm like, gosh, that's such a good point, Brandon. Um, I, we are, we are, I'm on Facebook under counterculture pottery. You can like counterculture pottery on Facebook. And I'm also on Instagram and my Instagram name is my name, including my middle name. So it's Sarah with an H and Anne is my middle name, A-N-N-E and Kirsten is my last name. So K-E-R-S-T-E-N. So I'm Sarah Ann Kirsten on Instagram and I put pictures up of the fermentation jars and my, you know, my whole little life here in Oakland involving my, my garden in my backyard, stuff like that. So if you want to see those kinds of pictures, you can find them on Instagram. And we also have a Tumblr blog and you can find that through the website, which is on counterculturepottery.com. Awesome. And we'll be sure to put all of those uh, links in the, in the show notes again at firmup.com slash podcast slash 55 as well. And do you have any parting thoughts on fermentation, on fermenting in crocks, on pottery, anything, anything you want to share for either the beginning fermenter or someone that's been fermenting forever? Yeah. Um, I think that to me, like I've always wanted people to know, cause I'm making these crocks and they're really nice and you know, they are, it is like pretty high end, I think, as far as fermentation crocks go, what I'm making. And I think it's really important to just keep a really great attitude about fermenting foods and the fact that you can ferment foods in anything, you know, and you should be enthusiastic about a fermentation hobby no matter what, because fermented foods are so good for like health and life and lifestyle. And, uh, you know, so it's so, so just to say that, and then if, you know, if people are looking for a really great crock, then that's what I'm making. And that's my little contribution to it. Um, but just that fermenting is the best. Fermented foods are the best. And I feel so blessed that I've been able to combine ceramics and what I love about fermented foods. I think that's what I want to say. Awesome. Thanks for being on Firm Up. Yeah. Thanks for talking to me, Brandon. So again, you'll find all of these show notes at firmup.com slash podcast slash 55. And you can also find us on, on Facebook at firmup or Twitter at firmup. And until next time, firm up.